Coffee Break, where Helena comes to talk. We're going to start, uh, start the show today talking uh, COVID vaccine with Tom. And uh, that, of course, rolling out right now here in the country and, uh, of course, in Montana. We've moved into the second round now. Just in general, uh, in, in vague terms, how's all that going? You know, um, within our county, it's going just absolutely excellent. Um, you know, we've, we've put together this collaborative effort as a, as a county to um, get the fairgrounds. I'm sure everybody's familiar with our fairground operation where we're um, getting shots out at a rate of 125 shots an hour, which is just absolutely phenomenal and efficient. And again, um, you know, in collaboration with St. Peter's, Peerview, County Health, many community organizations active in disaster really came together to get this together. Um, and then also we are now getting mobile pods together where we're taking the Blue Cross um, Blue Shield caravan to sites where patients have mobility issues to make sure they get access to shots too. So, um, you know, within our county and our community, we're, we're, things are going really well on a national scale. It's been a little um, challenging given that the lack of vaccine supplies coming into the county are really starting to um, kneecap our ability to get uh, broader uh, vaccinations out to the community. Yeah. Is that a matter of is it the supply chain or do these companies just not have enough of it? Obviously there's a great demand, so they're going to make as many as they can, but is it the fact that they're still trying to make this stuff or we just, we're not efficiently getting it to where it needs to go? Yeah. I mean, it's a great, that's a million dollar question there, Troy. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think my understanding is that it's really just um, the manufacturers needing to uh, increase their supply and their manufacturing process to get that supply to us. Um, and I, I think there's active work being done to, to ensure that that's happening. But in the meantime, we're you know going week by week to see what vaccine availability there is, and then planning our our uh, community vaccination events around that. So we're you know we with all these infrastructure that we built, we're ready. As soon as you know we get. 10,000 doses next week, we'd get those out in a hurry. Um, right. And we're hoping for the day when that comes. Well, and it sounds like the Johnson & Johnson is sort of right on the edge of potentially joining the fray, right? Yeah, yeah. There's some exciting developments. There are some other vaccine candidates coming in. Uh, you know, back home we said we don't count our chickens before they hatch, but certainly um, – yeah, that, you know, it's looking good that we will have more vaccine candidates. And, and to your point, that will really help with our um, overall vaccination supply if we can get more options uh, going and distributed. Yeah. Tom Richardson is with us this morning. Tom, a clinical pharmacist at St. Peter's Health. And uh, we could certainly handle more coming to Montana, I suppose, when we talk vaccine. If we could get it, especially here in Lewis and Clark County, as you said, if we could get it, I, I think this thing is a pretty well-oiled machine at this point. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, right now we're in phase 1B, tier 1A, which is really the 70 and over um, category. And, you know, we're, again, we're kind of going week by week and we're, we're ticking down the, um, the numbers. And, and, again, the more vaccine we get, the quicker we'll be able to move through that, that tier 1A and be able to move to tier 1B. And, um, again, we're, you know, going week by week, almost day by day to learn what our vaccine allocations will be to, to be able to continue our mission to get vaccines in arms and um, yeah, let's get some more vaccine in the county. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I guess if we look at this thing from the 10,000-foot view, we're going to dive into some specifics here in a minute, but um, are, are there any sort of broad takeaways past the the fact that we just we, we need more of this stuff? I mean, I, I think the broad takeaways are just the realistic expectations that we're going to have to be patient. Um, you know, we're at the, you know, the mercy of, like, as we talked about, just the manufacturing, the distribution from the federal level coming into our state and the distribution to our county that, um, 
I, I really appreciate the energy of the community. You know, everybody's um, wanting the vaccine, and that's great. And I, I'm really excited that there's that interest. I, I, I hope that, you know, we can continue to ask for patients um, as we continue to learn about the supply chain and get more vaccine that um, folks, you know, stay informed, stay up to date, and understand that, you know, we're doing the best we can to um, get vaccine um, in arms as we get it. So, Tom, if we dive a little bit deeper, uh, there are listeners out there that I'm sure are still a little unsure about the safety of this vaccine, mostly because it just it came about so quickly. How do we how do they know that this is safe? Yeah, and I, I get that question a lot, and I think it's an excellent question. I, you know, I've, I've gone on record to say that, um, you know, um, asking questions is a very healthy um, way to learn and, and to make sure that you're making an informed decision. So to put the safety in the context, I was kind of thinking about this the other day that, you um, so whenever you go to receive an antibiotic, right, an antibiotic is a common thing that a lot of people get. If I were to give an antibiotic to 100,000 uh, people, 50 out of that 100,000 would have uh, likely have some form of anaphylaxis or severe reaction to it, some allergic reaction. Um, by comparison, if I gave a million doses of vaccine out, um, 2.5 to 3 people would have some type of severe reaction or anaphylaxis to the vaccine. So. I think from the, you know, we hear a lot about the, the anaphylaxis risk with vaccination, and really anaphylaxis is true of any, or a, a risk with anything, but hopefully that puts that into perspective that, you know, you don't think about that when you go get an antibiotic for an ear infection, um, that your rates are actually mortars magnitude higher than getting a vaccination. Um, and then in addition to that, we continue to collect safety data for, you know, we've rolled out millions of doses um, in our country and, you know, tens of millions of doses worldwide, and we continue to see safe data come back that this vaccine is is extremely safe do we know anything well and, and and i guess not but maybe we can pull something out of at least the trials about potential long-term issues yeah and and that, again that's one of the, the other big questions is that um you know to be you know with, with vaccine science if there are going to be issues it's um recognized in the first couple months after administration and that's you know, the FDA put a lot of rigor around um, how they would, would have granted an emergency use authorization, uh, of which with that vaccine science, they, they mandated two months of safety data because that's historically, um, that's what they found is that any vaccine that's ever been tested within two months is where you'll see issues. Um, you know, to my knowledge, there's not a vaccine that they found out five years from now um, altered DNA or had some, um, you know, sinister effect um, in that regard. So. Um, yeah, you know, like you said, the long-term safety is certainly things that we will continue to watch for, absolutely. Um, but that would be a huge precedent if there was an issue with a vaccine, you know, five years down the road mm -hmm. that we didn't see or anticipate. Tom Richardson with us on Coffee Break this morning. He's a clinical pharmacist out at St. Pete's. And right now, the two that we have available in terms of uh, COVID vaccines, both of them require a second shot. Uh, depending on which, which manufacturer, it's three or four weeks later. Why is that second shot so important? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So um, after your first shot, um, seven to 10 days later, you have about 50% 50, 50 protection. Um, it's that second shot that really gets you to that 95% protection that we read about. And that's with both vaccines um, follow that same logic or line of thought. Um, and so that's why that second shot is really important. If you, if, if, you know, we want everybody to have that full protection. Um, which is why we really need to make sure that, you know, we get to that second shot appointment and, and get that done. Well, and I guess the Johnson & Johnson, it just uh, apparently just needs the one shot. So that might speed things up even a little bit more since people only need to get the one. 
Yeah, that's uh, that'd be awesome. That, I'm going to go buy stock in that one. Right. <laughs> so, what, what is Tom? What is the efficacy of this? I mean, we heard in the trials for both that we have available right now about 95. percent Is that holding true? Yeah, absolutely, and they they're actually anticipating that it might even be higher than that, which is just absolutely fascinating that that we've created. You know, one of the things that when we get to the end of this COVID-19 pandemic, we're going to look back, and I think the advancement of vaccine technology with using this mRNA technology that people read about and then getting efficacy rates this high with the vaccine is just absolutely amazing. You know, if you think about the, the annual flu shot, you get a, uh, on average 40 to 60% efficacy or protection rate, whereas with this, we're talking 95% possibly higher. So just absolutely incredible that, you know, we've been able to achieve that. Yeah. Do we know how long this lasts? I mean, we get the shot, you know, once we get that second shot, we're looking at 95 plus percent protection, but for how long, right? Like, I mean, do we know at this point? We, we don't know at this point. There's data to show that it at least goes out six months, eight months. And, and, and the most recent update I saw was it looks like um, they're pretty safe and projecting um, immunity out to a year. Beyond that, there there are some discussions about whether eventually this becomes some type of booster. Um, uh, one of the things I was going to mention is, you know, there's these talks of variant strain circulating mm -hmm. worldwide. Um, and as we learn more about how the virus continues to adapt to us, we, we will need to adapt to it, which could include booster shots and things like that down the road. But as of right now, as it stands, um, you know, after that second shot, we anticipate having about a year's worth of immunity, which compared to just infection like if you just got covid without a, a vaccine that's about three months is what they found okay for an immunity protection yep well and you mentioned these other strains and it sounds like you know that they don't do anything different in terms of what they're doing to us it's just they're to varying degrees more communicable so will will this uh, vaccine i mean is that protecting us against those as well yeah that and that's the that's another million dollar question right there and and, and Early science suggests yes. So what what we've been able to show in the in the scientific literature is that um, getting the current COVID vaccines that are available, you still mount antibody titers um, high enough to have a clinical protective effect. However, they haven't, you know, they're doing that more in the laboratory and, in, and on the bench work to, to show that. Um, they're working on now the real-world data to show do we still have that 95% protection rate against these variant strains. So um, absolutely getting the shot will provide protection, and they're currently um, working on that, you know, data to show how, you know, is there an effective rate that's different than what we see with the current strain circulating, um, which is, this is just all fascinating that, you know, since the beginning of this pandemic, we've had um, multiple uh, mutations and various strains circulating. So this isn't necessarily anything new, um, but certainly something that we're catching up to the virus from that regard of making sure that what we're giving for vaccine is effective. Tom Richardson with us on Coffee Break. He's a clinical pharmacist at St. Peter's Health. We've got just a couple minutes left before we got to let him go. And I, I wanted to ask Tom, if people have already been exposed, they had, they've recovered from COVID, should they still be getting in line and getting this vaccine? Absolutely. Um, as I mentioned before, you know, your your natural immunity to the infection wanes, uh, you know, within a two to three month window. So we really want to get people in, especially if you're um, in our current tier of 70 and over, um, get in and get that vaccine so we can get you protected once that, you know, natural immunity starts to wane. Um, and uh, yeah, we we, uh, there's no contraindication if you've had COVID previously. Um, you know, certainly you, there's not going to be any significant effect of that 
to when you get vaccine and having side effects or issues around that. Okay. So, but yep. even after you get this thing, uh, at least for now, short-term prevention measures like masks and that sort of thing, everything we've heard for a year, that's still important. It absolutely is. Yeah, Troy. And that's another one of the more popular questions that um, our team receives is that, you know, just because you get vaccinated, it doesn't mean that you're, you don't transmit the virus. So I think that's just really important for everybody to know, you know, because we're, this is a marathon and everybody's getting fatigued and, mm-hmm. and myself included, to be frank, that we're hoping that once we get vaccinated, that means we don't have to wear a mask and we can kind of revert back to normal life. And the, the reality is, is that's not true. We, we don't know whether or not you can still transmit the virus at that point. Um, of which we still need to continue our protective measures. And we need to continue those measures as until we can get more people vaccinated and get to that herd immunity as well. So it's a really important point to make. Yeah. Tom Richardson with St. Peter's South. He's a clinical pharmacist out there. Tom, thanks so much for taking time with us this morning. Yeah, and if people have questions, please visit lccountync.gov for more information and uh, the St. Peter's Health website, COVID-19 um, link as well. We have uh, info on there for folks as well. Perfect. He's the man with the answers. Tom, thanks so much. Yeah, Troy, good visiting with you. Take care, everybody. Stick around. We've got more Coffee Break coming up. I just wanted to step away from the show for a few seconds to tell you that if you miss an episode, you can always catch up. We're on iTunes, so find our show there or swing by coffeebreak959.podbean.com. Local and area events, city, state, and national officials, your neighbors doing incredible things. We talk to them all on Coffee Break, where Helena comes to talk. In today's always-on world, your business demands a simpler approach to network security. At Blackfoot Communications, we deliver state-of-the-art security solutions from the perimeter to endpoint devices and remote data backup for businesses across Montana. Ensure your company's network is online all the time. For more information, visit goblackfoot.com security. Welcome back in. This is Coffee Break. Thanks for keeping with us this morning. We've got a good finale for you. We've got Kelsey Kyle finishing this show. Kelsey and RN, a care manager and maternal mental health expert out at St. Peter's Health. Kelsey, thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you so much for inviting me on the show this morning. Yeah. Can you kind of introduce yourself to listeners? Tell them just uh, who you are and what it is that you do. Absolutely. So I've been a registered nurse for the past 14 years, and most of my career has been spent working with um, moms, babies, and families. I also have a certification in perinatal mental health, and that means that I have extra education and mental health training to work with um, women who are pregnant um, and families and parents after they have a baby. Um, and it includes also including partners, dads, and also um, parents who um, become parents through adoption or foster care. Um, you don't necessarily have to have a baby, um, birth a baby to have um, need extra support and help with mental health. Okay. And so how long have you been doing that? I mean, and, and how did you get into that role? So I've been doing this role for the past um, three and a half years, and I started at St. Peter's Health um, with the complex care team after previously working in pediatrics and labor and delivery, 
and um, working with patients across the lifespan, um, just recognizing a need for more support in the pregnancy and postpartum time frame, um, and then being able to continue to expand that work and um, build out a bigger program. Yeah. So maternal mental health, we know all three of those words, but put them together. I mean, I, I think something a lot of us probably don't really fully understand. What is that in practice? I mean, what, what does it look like? Why is it important? Yes. So um, maternal mental health, so that would be supporting um, the mental health and well-being um, throughout the journey of becoming a mother. Um, our program also encompasses um, parents as well. So, you know, also recognizing that dads and partners are part of, um, a, you know, family systems and that it's important to support um, them as well. Um, and then just the mental health of moms and parents is really important because if we don't care for ourselves, um, we're not able to give to other people in our lives, including our children. And if um, our children are, grow up with that model of, you know, that it's important to take care of yourself, um, to be um, the, you know, function and be the best that you can be, um, it can, you know, give them permission to do the same thing in their lives yeah. and just result in, in healthier people if that's passed from generation to generation. Yeah. Kelsey Kyle with us this morning on Coffee Break to finish things out. We're talking maternal mental health. Uh, let, let's put some real numbers to this, I, I guess, if we can. I mean, what kind of statistics are we looking at here as it pertains to maternal mental health? Yes, so um, approximately one in seven women um, and one in 10 men can be affected by postpartum depression or anxiety. Um, and it's one of the most common complications um, when having a baby or a new parent. Um, but it's also, um, we're just working on um, decreasing stigma and just talking about it more because I think that um, people often struggle with this, but then feel really alone because they mm -hmm. feel like they're the only ones having this, these, um, you know, thoughts and feelings and uh, challenges. Um, so just, you know, letting people know that um, it's very common and it's actually, it's very treatable. There's many ways to treat and help support somebody um, that's struggling during this time frame. And um, everybody just has a, you know, different ways of helping and treating postpartum depression and anxiety work for different people. So just finding what works for you and embracing that. Yeah. So part, uh, postpartum depression, can you, I guess, explain a little bit what that is and what makes it happen? Yes. So um, postpartum depression is having um, your, your mood, feeling pretty sad, um, sometimes feeling very overwhelmed, um, not feeling like yourself. And that um, typically is classified as postpartum depression starting four weeks um, after you have a baby. Um, before the four-week mark, um, they, it's typically um, a woman would go through the baby blues, and that's actually incredibly common. That's um, eight out of ten women will have, um, you know, emotions kind of be up and down, can be tearful one moment, laughing the next. Um, but if um, at the four-week postpartum mark, 
um, somebody is still struggling and that's a mom or a dad or a partner um, and feeling really sad, then that can be an indication of um, postpartum depression. And it's um, often very much caused by hormonal changes after delivering a baby. So for, you know, most women going through this, it's not something that you can control or um, you can be educated to help prevent it. But um, even if you have like a great support plan and, you know, you're trying to um, eat well and get a little bit of exercise, you, you can still end up um, having struggles with postpartum depression. And that's can be out of your control. So yeah. just um, knowing that piece, um, that it's not anybody's fault, but, you know, there is help and support. Yeah, and, and that's probably key, right? That I mean, you talked about how common this is, and, and there's got to be a feeling of, why am I feeling this way? I shouldn't feel this way. You know, so, so there's some embarrassment, there's some shame probably involved in it, and, and that shouldn't be the case. Oh, ab- absolutely. And I also... Um, when I talk to new parents too, like we just talk about our society really um, portrays parenthood as being, you know, really happy and magical and, you know, ads for diapers and formula and baby items are like happy people with a really happy smiling baby. And so if that's not what you're going through, um, you can, you know, if you're thinking this is what it's going to be like, then it can be hard to to feel like you're, um, you can feel like you're failing and not doing a good job when really you are. Um, it's just much harder than it looks. Right. Kelsey Kyle is finishing the show with us today. Uh, Kelsey, an RN and a care manager and maternal mental health expert out at St. Pete's. We've got about five minutes left with her. Um, what are some of the signs, some of the symptoms we should be looking for? And, and we, I guess in this case, really is we, all of us need to be doing this and being aware. Yes, absolutely. And and I also really um, like to educate, you know, families and everybody involved in um, parents that are going to have a new baby just because a lot of times um, the person going through this themselves, it's hard for them to recognize that they're having a hard time. So if other people in their life um, can recognize this, there's certainly a, a language to um, feeling like you're struggling with Um, postpartum depression and anxiety. So um, if you're hearing anybody saying things like, you know, why do I feel like crying all the time? I'm having anger, rage, that's not normal for me. I want to be alone all or most of the time. I'm really overwhelmed with everything. I don't feel like I'm bonding with my baby. Um, I can't sleep even when my baby's sleeping. Um, Loss of appetite are also is also a sign um, and just, you know, really not feeling like yourself or feeling like you're having a really hard time just functioning with your daily activities in your life and caring for yourself or your baby. Yeah. And well, and I, I want to, before we run out of time, St. Peter's recently did receive some funding to support this kind of work, as I understand. Can you fill us in on what's going on there? Yes, so we are really fortunate to be one of two nationwide recipients of a $50,000 award, and that's through the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, and it was, um, we submitted a proposal of um, the program that we wanted to implement, and it um, was connected to uh, addressing postpartum mental health in rural communities, and um, Helena is 
considered a rural community being in Montana. Um, so um, uh, my team and myself, we put together the proposal and then we won um, the award and this funding is helping us implement and grow our program and just provide um, wraparound support for parents during pregnancy and the postpartum time frame. Very cool. So it's already doing great work and we're going to do more. I mean, so the future of the program at uh, St. Pete's looks uh, looks pretty bright. Absolutely. Yes. We, we talked, Kelsey, uh, in, in our final, we got about two minutes here, um, and I, I guess kind of circling back around and finish this, finishing this thing up, we, we talked symptoms, warning signs. If we see those, what do we do? Like that Step one, I guess, is, is seeing them, is recognizing them. What's step two? Mm -hmm. So step two is um, also then also recognizing whether or not it's a crisis situation. So if anybody is verbalizing um, that they're having thoughts of hurting themselves or their baby or somebody else in their life, um, you would need to go to the nearest emergency room, stay with the person, um, don't leave them alone, um, and seek immediate medical care. Um, if it's not a crisis or emergency, just connecting back with your OB provider, midwife, family practice provider, um, and um, connecting with a provider you're able to have an open conversation with um, is helpful. Or you know you can connect with a, a local therapist um, that can also help um, you through this time frame. Okay, so ultimately it's picking up the phone and making a call, and if you're calling somebody they're going to get you in touch with where you need to be ultimately right yes yeah okay so is there is there more information out there if people want to kind of dig in more and, and read more learn more is, is is there more on uh st peter's website somewhere or where can people get more information yeah so um very soon we're um we're just kind of launching out this program so um just check Frequently, for on the St. Peter's website, we are going to put this program and a, a more in-depth um, description of how to con um, connect with the St. Peter's team that's doing this work um, and just more about um, what we're doing. So um, stay tuned and just keep a watch on our website. Okay, fantastic. Kelsey Kyle is an RN, a care manager and maternal mental health expert out at St. Peter's Health and doing fantastic work in our community. So, uh, Kelsey, thank you for what you're doing out there and thank you for taking time with us this morning. Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, it, it's fantastic talking with the folks out at St. Peter's Health. Lots of great information this morning. Thanks for riding along with us. We are all out of time, but we'll be back here again tomorrow morning. I'm Troy Shockley, and that's it for Coffee Break today. Be sure to check us out on iTunes. Head on over. Give us a review there. That's always much appreciated. Or swing by coffeebreak959.podbean.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you back here tomorrow.